Thanksgiving, everybody. Today is Sunday after Thanksgiving, so today's the day your pants are starting to fit right. Am I, am I right? You're, you're over the bloated, the bloated feeling. It's also the official start of the holiday season. And I was thinking about that yesterday as I was sweating and dragging things out of my attic, thinking, okay, I'm doing this again uh, at the same time every year. And all the while I'm doing that, I'm convincing myself it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Is that that's the way the song goes? But here's, here's what I want to think about. What if it's not your most wonderful time of the year? You know, what if, what if this is a difficult time of the year? There is high expectation for, for our lives and our, our level of happiness at, at this time of the year. How many of you, at some point in the past, have, have, have not had your expectations met in the holiday season? Right? Okay. I can't see that great because the lights are shining my eye. I'm assuming there's bunches of hands going up. Or if you're not, I'm assuming that you just don't feel like telling the truth this morning. And that is totally, that's totally okay. I know for my parents, there was sometimes trouble at Christmas. Uh, I, re- I remember, this is my mom's favorite story about, about Christmas and gift giving. I think I, w- I think I was three or four. I don't, I don't remember the age. But they, they'd had a great year, and they wanted, you know, my parents were, I want to give you everything I did not have. So this particular, particular year, there's a mound of presents uh, under the tree. Yes, Santa came. Go out. Spend the morning opening up presents. And after, after I'm done, what do I go and do to express my gratitude for what just happened? I went into the kitchen and started playing with the pots and pans. Apparently, those were a favorite of mine, to be able to make as much noise as possible. So for my mom, unmet expectations. But maybe you, maybe you realize that some this week. Thanksgiving evening, there's a pile of dirty dishes, and everybody who was there before has abandoned you, and you're left to do them yourself. Or maybe as you're sitting around the table, you realize just how much unresolved conflict there is among your family. The best part of your Thanksgiving was when everybody left, right? That's what created happiness for you. Or or maybe you've had that experience. You get to the other side of Christmas, and you look back, and you're like, is that all? I mean, I, I kind of feel a little empty uh, uh, on the other side. Like the kid who, after he opens his presents, goes and plays with the pots and pans or says, are, are, there, are there any more? Most of us enter this season and we have, we have an expectation of something needs to make me happy. And, and there's a lot of things going on and some of it might make you happy for a time. You know, you, there, there's going to be a party that you're going to go and you're going to hang out with your friends, or your coworkers, or your neighbors. But then what happens when the party is over and, and you have to go back, back home? Or, or maybe it's going to be a great, great holiday because your family's coming into town. You haven't seen them in a while. But then ultimately, the family's going to get back in their car and, and they're going to go. What happens then? Or maybe this is going to be the year that you're happy because you're going to get the new car that you've been wanting. But then tomorrow, the car's not new anymore, and you've got to drive it to work. And now you're saddled with some debt to pay as well. Expectations fail us. But there's another group of people, some of us in here, some of them are our neighbors, that this is the season of having no expectations. 
that, that you know you're going to be disappointed. You know you're going to be unhappy now, and the holiday season is going to make you even unhappier because you're going to be confronted with all of the, all of the messages, right? All the commercials of, of people with smiles on their face. And maybe for you, this has been a year of loss, right? So going, in, going into the holiday season, beginning with Thanksgiving, going through Christmas, New Year's, even going to Valentine's Day, because Target says Valentine's Day starts the day after Christmas, Maybe that's just a reminder of what you don't have anymore. Maybe, maybe the friends that you've longed for are not lining up at your door to, to be with you. Maybe you don't even have money for essentials, much less for the expectation of all the gifts that you need to give this season. I mean, even the Bible, even the Bible says that this is, this is supposed to be a time of good news and great joy, but, but you're not feeling it. And, and, and part of you is wondering, what's, what's wrong with me? And you look around at other people and you say, why can't I? Where's my? Or, I'd just be happy if. And you'd just be happy to be in a cave and not have to see the Lexus commercial of the happy couple coming out in the snow with the red bow on top of the car. And if only they have $500 a month to do that. If you never have to see that commercial again, that's the best thing Santa could bring you for Christmas, right? Yes, amen. Thank you. I appreciate the feedback on that point. You just want to fast forward and get it all over. In either case, whether you build this up to be a season of of happiness and joy or whether this is a season of confronting the disappointment and and the pain and and what's not going right in in your life, This becomes a season of worry or anxiety or busyness or trying really hard to be happy or making sure everybody around you is happy while you're not. And so the message that I want to navigate for the next few few minutes is, is appropriate to this season. Why can't I be happy? You can even replay it. As it gets closer to Valentine's Day, when all the expectations of how your relationship is supposed to be and how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to make you happy, there's expectations everywhere. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, the verse that Nicole read just a few minutes ago. I'm going to, I'm going to read this passage again. If you got your phone, you can read along with me, open your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. But these are important words of Jesus. And the message here is contrary to the, to the message that we're going to receive in full force for the next 30 or so days. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? 
you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just before this passage... Jesus is confronting the large crowd that is following him. And, and out of that crowd, uh, somebody asked Jesus uh, to settle a dispute. And so he went, into a, he went into a parable of a man who was seeking his happiness in having plenty. This man was creating his own security and was wondering, I have so much that I'm going to build a bigger barn. I've got to build a bigger barn to put all of the grain that I have. And once I do that, I am going to put my feet up and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to take life easy. That was, what he, that was what he was longing for. That was the security. That was the good life. That was happiness. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he starts off with, do not worry. See, worry and anxiety... And dissatisfaction, these are the opposite of, of being happy. Worry is a symptom. Okay? I know that we, we tell ourselves, I need, to, I need to try harder to stop worrying. Have you ever tried harder to stop worrying? I mean, that, that's impossible. It becomes a cycle. Because then what happens when you worry? You, you worry about worrying. And now you've got to try harder to do that. It's impossible. Worry is a symptom. And here's the, here's the truth I want to confront you with. God wants you to be happy. Do you, do you believe that? In, in your picture of God, do you believe that God wants you to be happy? In verse 30 of the passage that, that we just read through twice, says, your father knows that you need them. So God, God knows what we need. God wants us to be happy. And I think your answer to that question, whether you believe that or not, it gives you a picture of how you view God. And, and I believe that, that we need to understand that God wants our happiness. Is God aware of your needs? Or is he oblivious to what's going on in your life? Is he just letting you sort through everything that's going on in, in the chaos of this world? Do, do you think that God meets your needs as a reward for good behavior? The better you are, the better God is going to make things, things work out. We get told a lot, and maybe you've heard this, that, that God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. And I don't believe that's true. I don't think you can separate those two things. But here's the problem. Our definition of happiness is too small. I only have a few minutes here to, to go through this message. So I can't go through all of the, the biblical passages that talk about happiness and, and demonstrate how God ultimately wants that. But you think about Adam and Eve. Go back to the very beginning. Where did God put the first couple? He put them in a garden. He, he satisfied all their needs. He gave them a purpose. He wanted them. 
He wanted them to be happy. He wanted them to be fulfilled. Think about the parable of the king. There's a bunch of parables about the kingdom of heaven. I'm thinking of Matthew 25. And the words of, of the, the master to the servant that was faithful, he says, come and join in your master's happiness. I want to share this with you. I'm happy. I want you to be happy as well. Heaven is described as a wedding feast. I mean, that's a happy time. I mean, I think we've all probably been to a wedding. That, that's a time of celebration and joy and, and, and happiness. The word blessed, when it is applied to man, when it, when it is God giving blessing to man, it means happiness. It means blissfully happy. So worry is a symptom. It's a symptom of, of our distrust. It's, it's a symptom of us hoping in a poor substitute. It is, it is a sign to us that our eyes are straying from, from the source of what ultimately is going to satisfy our soul. I mean, going back to that same garden picture where the man and the woman have everything. They, they, they sinned. They, they were disobedient when they took their eyes off God. And they said, something else is going to make me happy. Something in addition or something instead of God. See, the, the reason that many of us fall into this, this rut where we think God doesn't care about our happiness is that we determine what we need to be happy. And then we ask Jesus to bless those broken desires. We think, I know better than God. And then you put God to the test. If God really loves me, if God really wants me to be happy, then fill in the blank. Then my relationship will work out. Then I will find a spouse. Then I will have that Lexus. Then my bank account will be full. Then I will have peace with the people in my family. We shoot too low in our quest for happiness. I mean, how many of you would treat a child like that? Let them determine what is it going to take for them to be happy, and then you just fulfill every desire that they have. I mean, what's going to happen there? That's, that's, that's going to end in disaster. But that's what we ask God to do for us. So Jesus says life is more than food. Light, the body is more than clothing. Jesus reduces this whole idea, the, the, the opposite of happiness, of worry, he reduces it to, to the most basic things. The, 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 the essentials of life, food and clothing. And I think if it's true, if this whole thing is true about the essentials, then it stands to reason that it's, it's true for everything else. And so if life is more than food and life is more than clothing, then life is more than finding a spouse. Then life is more than what my bank account says. Life is more than about the state of my relationship with my parents. By worrying, we cannot add a single hour to our lives. Worry is fruitless because we, we have no control over these things. In fact, did you notice this? this? I noticed this as I was reading through this passage this week. Jesus says, if you, if you cannot control even this small thing, 
For Jesus, adding an hour to our life is a small thing. He could snap his fingers and he could make you live another 10 years. It is no big deal, but we can't control it. This is Jesus demonstrating where the source of happiness comes from. Worry is destructive. Some statistics uh, that, that I got from a Google search, and I believe these are true statistics. I verified them 10 times. 10% of people in our country are antidepressants, right? And, and I know that for some people, I, I get, I get there's, there, there's certain kinds of depression that are, that are, are caused by chemical imbalance. So I, I, I get that. Worry leads to headaches, It leads to stomach problems, leads to fatigue, it leads to sleep problems, numbing behaviors, irritation, depression, and the list of of disorders associated with worry and chronic anxiety go on and on. But we can't do the small thing of adding an hour to our lives. But God can. Jesus is not instructing us that stop worrying or do not worry is an act of our will. What he's getting his disciples to, to open their eyes to is what is the source of happiness? And so happiness is born in peace with God. What brings forth happiness? Our relationship, our connection to God. Who are you listening to? Like, what voices, as you're riding in the car, as you're talking on the phone, as you're scouring the internet, who are you listening to? Because we live in this culture that the the, the people we listen to almost universally are trying to drum up anxiety, are trying to drum up dissatisfaction, worry. This is is what we hear. But, But just like the worry and the anxiety that are a symptom, happiness is also a fruit. Happiness is not a goal. Happiness is a fruit. And it starts with understanding the source of your value. I'm going to read again Luke 12, 24. It says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. They're fully dependent on the provision of God, and God feeds them. But then Jesus adds this, How much more valuable are you than birds? Jesus doesn't add that because birds are are unimportant or that God doesn't love birds or or that birds weren't made good. He adds that is because birds weren't made in, in the image of God. Our value is not based on our performance. Our value is not based on our possessions. It's not based on our perfection or our approval. Our value is not based on, can you give your kids the best Christmas ever? Our value is not, will this next month be lived perfectly? Am I going to throw a party that people are going to be talking about weeks from now? Our value is based because we are crafted after his image. We, are, we, we have to understand that our worth comes from him. And we're defined in relationship to God. And the good news about this is this never changes. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. You're still created in the image of God. You are still valuable because he formed you. You're still valuable because Jesus died for you to to demonstrate that love. It's who we were created to be. 
See, when we look to, when we look to our circumstance, we kind of get a false impression. Because we're looking at a broken world, and it's broken by choice, and very little, almost nothing about this world affirms our value. In fact, we're often, we often feel like pawns, or we, we, we feel like no one notices or no one cares. And when we look to the world to define who we are, we make a disastrous exchange. Don't confuse the grief caused by a broken world a grief that God himself feels with God's desire for you to live in happiness. And that's why looking to things of the world, looking to, to, to parties, looking to uh, Christmas morning to, to fulfill your desires is not going to satisfy you. At the end of this passage in, in verse, uh, verse 31, it says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Every day we're confronted with a choice. What kingdom am I going to build? What kingdom am I going to look after? Am I going to seek God's kingdom? Am I going to seek to, to reflect his image and his glory and what I have in Jesus to, to the world around me? Or am I going to seek my kingdom? Am I going to seek to build myself up? to sustain myself, to, to create my own security, my own control, my own, my own affirmation. The Bible says in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We have, we have one thing. We have one thing that we have to work on. Where are we rooted? And happiness is supported in becoming aware of your brokenness. I just want to give everybody here a newsflash, okay? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect, okay? None of us, none of us are perfect. The, the expectation is that we are going to grow. Now, now here's the thing about uh, acknowledging and becoming aware of our brokenness. Brokenness isn't an, an excuse. I think that's why sometimes we're afraid of that, is brokenness is not an excuse. Of, oh, I'm broken anyway, so... I have permission to, to do what I want. Okay. Jesus, Jesus doesn't bless our brokenness. He's not going to ma- wave a magic wand and say, your brokenness is now the same thing as being whole. Go with you. What Jesus does is he forgives. He offers us grace. He is forming us. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It, our part of the bargain is that we draw near to God, that we understand where we're rooted, and part of that is digging, digging deeper and understanding where am I looking for my happiness? Where am I turning my face away from God and trying to find happiness in, in other things? In, in that passage that we're, we're going through in Luke 12, 29, it's the, the, the end of the verse before starts off, you of little faith. That's not, I'm not taking that as, as Jesus uh, scorning. I think that that's just Jesus saying, this is what you are. We have little faith. If we can't see it, we doubt it. It's hard for us to function with a God that is, that is unseen. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. That's why we have word recorded about him. That's why we are the body of Christ, so others can see the, the, the miraculous, saving nature of God. But then he goes on, he says, do not set your heart 
on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Jesus is saying, this this doesn't define you. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, these are not the sum parts of who you are. You are so much more than that. And our tendency in the flesh is to to look around. But, But Jesus, he is aware of what we need. When we understand our brokenness, we, we also understand where we're vulnerable. We understand the things that we are going to be tempted to reach out to. And then we can substitute the truth for that. We can substitute the fact that I am more than what I eat or drink. I am more than the clothes. I'm more than the car that I drive. I'm more than the job that I do. I'm more than all of these things. And an, ex- an expression of this, an expression of this awareness is gratitude. Gratitude becomes an expression of the security we have that that Jesus isn't going to leave us or forsake us. Gratitude is an expression of its God has taken on the responsibility to make things grow. And I know sometimes we enter this season and there's there's obstacles. I I am totally familiar with obstacles to gratitude. I've been through Many, many holiday seasons where my wife and I wanted, wanted a baby, but we couldn't have one. It's hard to be thankful. I, there's a year I didn't have a job. That, that complicated things. I, the year that my mom found out she had cancer, again. My sister died, and the holidays rolled around like they, they do every year. And sometimes you just have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for something to to be grateful for and to be thankful for. And here's the bottom line. Whatever else is going on in this messed up, broken world of expectations and busyness and anxiety, you have Jesus. You have who you belong to. He is not leaving. He is not abandoning you. He is right there. If you're grieving, Jesus is grieving. If you're celebrating, Jesus is celebrating. Happiness is, is sustained in obedience. When, when happiness is a goal and we work and we try harder, we begin to resent. We begin to resent those obstacles to it. Right? And so when we can, when we can understand our acceptance, while, while Jesus doesn't bless our brokenness, he accepts it. He accepts us right where we are with, with the, the goal that we are going to be conformed in his image. And, that, and that's a process, and that takes time. And happiness becomes the fruit of that, and it becomes sustained in our obedience. But when we try to obey to prove our worthiness, to, 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 to earn our acceptance from God, that's when we begin to, begin to resent God. That's when we begin to, to worry. That's when we begin to look at our circumstances and say, does that mean God loves me or does that mean God doesn't love me? I didn't get the job. Is God angry? What did I do wrong? We can rest in our acceptance. Luke twelve thirty of the passage we, we're going through says, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need him. See, the pagan world that, that means that's what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing what they see fit, what they see right, what, what is right in their own eyes. But happiness is sustained when we do what's right in the eyes of God. 
This is why we become a nation of debt, right? People doing what is right in their own eyes. This is why we have so many surface relationships around us. This is why we have values that are based on external. We're, we're trying to, to, to manufacture happiness, and we're, we're, we're going away f- from God. But God sets boundaries for our, for our happiness. A few examples. Again, back to the beginning. In, in the midst of the perfection of the garden and the goodness that God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them one thing to obey. So don't eat the fruit of that tree. He gave them a boundary. He gave them something to obey. Ultimately, for, for their happiness. We know how it turned out when they didn't. When God, when God rescued the nation Israel from captivity and, and finally let them cross the Jordan River into the land that he had prepared for them, a land of milk and honey, so there's abundance there, he gave boundaries. He said, there's nations, there's nations all around you. I don't want you to intermarry with them. It wasn't because he hadn't made those other people. It's because he was establishing a boundary of obedience for, for the Israelites so that they would always know whose they were and they wouldn't have to question the goodness of God. For us, the boundary is we are to become more Christ-like. And we don't do that of our own will, but there are boundaries that, that we are asked to not cross. And we are, we're, we're asked not to run after the things that the pagan world runs after. That's not, it's going to let us down. It, we're not going to be any happier. The last, the last point about happiness is that happiness is demonstrated in love. I mean, what a great opportunity the angel tree is to, to, to demonstrate love. You're going to do something that somebody is not going to know you did. You're going to do something you're not going to get a return on that. That's what love is. Do you see the chaos of Black Friday on the news? Every year that rolls around seems to get a little, a little worse. People wrestling for TVs and things like that. There was, even, there was even a picture, I don't know if it was true or false, but, but the fact that I believe it means there's a problem. Somebody wrestling a rice cooker from a child's hands, right? I have a rice cooker in the graveyard of discarded appliances in my closet in the kitchen. The rice cooker did not make me any happier. It did not bring me any closer to wholeness. Okay, but yet this is, this is the type of thing that, that people are, are fighting over. See, when we, when we need something to make us happy, when we need a, a person to make us happy, then they just become objects. When, when somebody becomes, obstacle, becomes an obstacle to our happiness, when they have something that we want, they become our enemies. And we treat them as enemies because, because they're in the way. That's not acting in love. Luke 12, 32 and 33, says, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Our response to, to being given the kingdom is love, is, is acts of generosity, Love to God through our, through our gratitude, through our praise, through our thankfulness, through, through our faith, even when circumstances dictate otherwise, but, but love to other people. So love doesn't expect a return. Acts of love 
don't, don't, don't have their basis in the response that we're going to give. That's how you know if you're loving. If you give some, something to somebody and, and you're let down when they don't act appropriately, that might not have been an act of love. That might ultimately have been an act for you. It's interesting how, how these things can, can, can mask themselves. Right? You can do something with the wrong motive, and, and it can look right. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, somebody who gives not under compulsion. And the reason God loves that is because somebody who gives cheerfully is somebody who is connected to him. Somebody is rooted in him. Somebody that's not, not worried that by giving something away that they are going to lack. It's, it's about trust. True happiness of the soul is about the ultimate over the immediate. Maybe, maybe you're unhappy or you're discouraged as you go through this season. Maybe you look back on Christmas and you think, what, what, was, what was the deal with that? Because you're holding on to an expectation that by following Jesus, you're going to get something. That, that somehow, if I follow Jesus, my bank account's going to be bigger. If I follow Jesus, then, then I am going to get the raise at work. When no, no promise of that is, is made to us, our soul longs for true happiness. Our soul longs for the happiness that's not going to dissipate when, when the season is over. Nothing a holiday can do, nothing that this season of the year can do is going to bring you the happiness and the wholeness that your soul is longing for. Moments weren't designed to replace the internal. So the, the last bit of this passage I'm going to, I'm going to read is Luke twelve thirty four. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Happiness can become an idol. What this... What this this little verse says is where you're building up your treasure, that is revelation of your heart, of where you're rooted. I googled the words how to be happy. When you google the words how to be happy at a week ago, there was 630 million results. Doesn't seem to be a lot of clarity on, on that little subject. So just want to leave you with with and answer that question. What can you do today when you're leaving here? How can you work on on happiness? Well, you can be still. You can be still and listen for for God. You, You can find ways to connect with the one that you belong to. You can remember in every moment whose you are. When, when, I, when I was driving over and I have those, those nervous jitters, every time I speak, I remember I'm Jesus, I belong to Jesus. Jesus wants me to do this, and, and it helps. So I'm not just giving you some, some, some aspirin to, to make the pain go away. This is the source. How can you be happy? Serve others. Get over yourself. See the humanity in, in, in other people. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I have a, I have a little table out uh, in the hallway. I have, a, I have a little sheet to give you to some questions as a response to this. If you're interested, come by, grab one. I have, I have enough for everybody if you want. I also have a, 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 a sign-up sheet for emails if you want more teaching like this. But ultimately, our happiness comes from the one we're rooted to.
Hope you have a great holiday season. Please pray with me. God, thank you that no matter what time of year it is, Jesus is near us. And God, I pray for all of us as we gear up for the hectic nature of the next month and month and a half, as, as we try to understand the reality of who Jesus is and how he fits into our life, that, that we will live in the truth that, that you want us to be happy, that you want us to, to be whole. You want us to, you want us to live in an amazing, fulfilled life. But you also want us to stop looking to what the world looks to for these things. So I pray that we find one way to live this holiday season differently than we have in the past. And God, I just pray that that will bring us joy and, and gratitude to be able to continue making steps to be conformed in the image of your Son. Thank you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.